Welcome to Enlisted Craftsmen, where veterans talk knives and lives. My name's Ethan Lee of E. Lee Custom Knives, and I'm joined by Garrett Elting of Steel Pig Forge and Mike Rizzo of Muffin Man Metalworks. Be sure to give us a follow at the underscore enlisted underscore craftsman on Instagram. And if you would like a question or a funny military story of yours featured on the show, be sure to email us at enlistedcraftsman at gmail.com. Fresh muffins hot out of the oven! Welcome back, everyone. Just myself and Garrett today. Mike might be joining us later. Oh. So, Garrett, I got a topic for today. Yeah, what are you thinking about, Ethan? I'm thinking about some AEBL. You ever, you make your steak knives out of that, right? Yep. I make a lot of steak knives and some chef knives and boning knives and filet knives. So, what's your experience with AEBL? Um good bad it's always been good as long as i send it out for heat treat as long as i send it to someone for heat treat i always i've tried now that i've got the uh even heat oven i uh, i've been trying with with stainless steel packets that kind of thing um i'm getting about probably 60 percent success rate with getting like a good vacuum seal on the steel and not having any oxidation i don't know how to get a better rate than that but i just can't seem to do it but see i haven't had a problem with that i i've been i can my knives pretty much come out as clean as they went in with just a little bit of discoloration places but the interesting that thing happened for me well what's your actually what's your heat treat process first for abl when you when you have done it or do you remember? I, yeah, at home. I I will uh, heat the oven to like 1575 and I put the blades in at 1575 and then let everything settle there and then take the steel up, then take everything up to like, let's say it's, I think I use 1975 with like a five to 10 minute soak and then I pull it out between two aluminum plates and compressed air. Okay, so that's works. Well, so that's pretty similar to what I did. So I didn't put them in at the when the oven was at temperature. Oh, but I put in ten knives in the oven. But my oven heats up so fast, I don't really think that that would make that big of a difference. I don't. I don't think so. I could be wrong. I don't know. Oh, but then I fifteen seventy five. I think that's what it was. Let it stabilize there about ten minutes. Then I ramp it ramps up to nineteen seventy five, mm-hmm. and then I pull them out. I plate quench them the same way I always do. Yep. They they come out looking clean, and then what I did is I uh, put them in my toaster oven at four hundred degrees, 
oh, the chart, you know, you can go between like 300, 400, whatever you're wanting. But 400, because I knew I was going to cryo them, 400, they come out as a 60 after you cryo them, according to the chart. Yeah. So doing all that, oh, I, like I feel like I followed it pretty much to a T. The only thing I did a little bit different than you was that I let them soak a little longer, I, like 15 minutes or 20 minutes at 1975. <laughs> Do you think that would make a difference in anything? How much lower are you getting Rockwell-wise? Well, that's a long story, but to make a long story longer, the I was between about a 55 to 57 on the Rockwell. Hmm. And so first what happened is I went to one guy's Rockwell tester, and I was getting readings all over the place, and we pretty much figured out we think his Rockwell tester is messed up. Yeah. Then I went to another guy's shop today who had an old Wilson that I think was right on the money. And it was uh, 55 to 55, 56, 57. They were all pretty consistent. Are these full thickness knives? Mm-hmm. Did you grind in anything yet? No, I didn't grind anything in yet. They're What they are is they're straight laser cut. Oh, I did grind down a spot on one just to see if it would make a difference. It didn't seem to matter. Oh, but but yeah, they're all just laser cut. Oh, the fillet knives are seventy thousandths thick. The kitchen knives are like one hundred thirty-eight thousandths thick, which I didn't really. Int- they're a little thicker than I wanted, but whatever. I'll have to just grind them down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they were both about the same thickness, and they. And I cryoed the fillet knives and I didn't cryo the kitchen knives because they didn't, they wouldn't fit my little bitty hole in my dewar. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that was kind of my real test. And the cryo, I don't know, it, it, you can maybe see like a little bit of a difference on the fillet knives, but there isn't really much. Mm-hmm. So, You're supposed to give you a point when you cryo. Yeah, and that's, some of them had a little hot, like, I think that. Some of them had a little higher than than the fillet knives, but I mean, it was not. It was almost not noticeable. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I don't have a Rockwell tester, so the ones that I've done here at the house, I've just I've got the uh, the Rockwell chisels from Matt Parker. Oh, the chisels. Yeah, and I've gotten pretty good at using those on different seals, so I'm pretty okay with my my findings with those, but I, I normally send all my stuff out to Paul Boss because they do such a good job. See, that was the other interesting thing is that I have a set of hardness files in ranges of five Rockwell. And yeah. on the one, the fillet knives that said like 55, my 60 file was actually skating. But technically there's supposed to be a difference between surface hardness and deep hardness. So I don't know if that's what it is. I don't know if my file's just a little worn and it's making me feel like it's skating. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I just was like, man, I, I should be a little higher than this. And it's okay for the fillet knives because I kind of want them to flex a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it should have done what it should have been where it was supposed to get. Yeah, I mean, I asked for 61 and a half for the steak knives. Well, for everything, really. I use pretty much 61 and a half is what I asked for from Paul Boss. So. And that's, I mean, and he, 
pretty much nails it. You can tell him he he tests depending on the blade. Like if he if he's hitting pretty consistently, you can see he that he tests almost every one, and then you'll see like every third one tested if he's hitting pretty good. And then oh. like if it's a different shape of knife, he'll test each one twice in different spots. I don't know. They do a really good job over there. I just feel like they do a, an outstanding job for what it, for what they charge. Is is that the place you said they would also straighten them for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gives you like five minutes worth of straightening. Five minutes. <laughs> yeah, they do like, it by the minute. If they can't, you mean if they can't get it in five minutes, and they, they have, have to, then they charge you. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. They yeah. actually they go the extra mile. They don't just quit at five minutes. <laughs> no, they'll, they'll charge you to get get to keep going. And then like they've got like a per inch charge too for their long blades. Like if they're like swords or something like that, they send them. Hmm. Their line is really cool. Uh, they use a uh, a hydrogen purge. A hydrogen their, purge in their heat trading line. Yeah, so they they're like in baskets, kind of. They they also use um, a fluidized sand bed, also, for a lot of their stainless stuff. That's why your scale comes back looking just as good as it was when it left. Hmm. But uh, yeah, they so to make sure that there's never any any oxygen inside the conveyor that's taking your knives through the different stages. Um, they have a hydrogen purge actually. Yeah, they split water and use the oxygen elsewhere, and they use the hydrogen. They burn the hydrogen inside the tunnel so that there's no oxygen present. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. If you call, if you call it's not Paul Boss. His name's Paul Varner. Um, but he's the the heat treating guy. Ask him about it. You've got to have at least an hour and a half, though. <laughs> he will tell you all about it. And I heard all about it because I was really interested in how they were doing that thing. That's really cool. I didn't know that even existed because I yeah. thought there, I knew there were vacuum like chambers for heat treating, like where they would they draw the whole oven in a vacuum, from what I understand, so they don't have to. Yeah, worry about any sort of gas. Yeah, but a, a hydrogen perch. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. It's always running constantly. It's always running. And since you know hydrogen, it burns with a very yellow flame. I want to say. You can almost not see it, but there's videos um, on YouTube. You can look up Paul Bossy treating. I will have to do that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Paul Warner, good guy to talk to. Well, see, I have had super good success with, with clean, like, I mean, I just wrap them one time, which I was just reading in my book. It says not to double wrap them. Yeah, I, I so. single wrap them. I just, I take a piece of foil. Hold it in half, stick my blade in there, and then, you know, crimp the sides. Well, so I I do what you're talking about. I put the, I fold it in half, and then on the long side of like, where, like uh, on the long side, I roll it once. I use a seamer tool to get a nice press on it, and then I roll it again, press it again with the seamer tool. Then on the ends, I flip it. If the if the tab that I just pressed is up, I flip the the ends down against it, just the same way you as if you'd wrap up, you know, deer meat that you're gonna freeze. Sure. Then I do I fold that twice, 
And I have really good success with that. And then I, but I also can get to the, my quench plates. I, I got my quench plates set up on an Arbor press. And okay. so I go right from the oven to the quench plates and squash them. And then there's, there's very little time between the oven and, and that. And I have really good luck. Like they go in almost looking like they come out. They almost look like they went going in. See, and I've, I've had, do you get a vacuum on your packets then each time? Like, do they vacuum seal around your blade? A little bit, yeah. Okay. I That's wouldn't say, like... yeah, like I get a little bit of discoloration on the edges. Uh, but yeah, I get kind of a good vacuum seal most of the time. Yeah, I, I, I get, I'm maybe like 60% of the time will get a vacuum seal. And if I don't, then, you know, they've just got green oxidation on them. You know, the ones that have a good, a good, vacuum seal they look really great and they might have a couple some of the purples and blues and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but you know uh i don't get that very often where does the green come from in stainless that's what i want to know the green oxidizing like oxid on the outside yeah like sometimes you get a green color that's chrome oxide chrome oxide yeah huh I learned that when I was trying to make stainless steel Damascus. Interesting. Yes. That's because my failed San Mai I had, it was green looking like that. Yeah. That's chromium oxide. Yeah. Okay. Huh. And, and it only happens at a high enough, high, well, like fairly high temperature, I believe. Uh, so makes sense. Heat treatment, you're getting really high. Forge welding, you're getting really, really hot. Makes sense. If you don't have a good seal, don't have a good vacuum, you're going to get oxidation. Well, and so I've also, I have a nitrogen purge on my oven too. Mm -hmm. But when I wrap stuff and if, if you wrap it good, I've, I've used it both. I've used it and not used it. And I, and if, if I have knives in stainless steel foil packets, I haven't noticed a difference. Hmm. And then I also, one time I heard about somebody that was uh, using nitrogen filled packets. So I made like, I left one opening in the top and then technically nitrogen is heavier than air. So I was filling the packet with nitrogen in theory to get all the oxygen out. Then I never tilted it sideways. I just folded it. That didn't make a bit of difference either. No. Hmm. And the biggest myth when it comes to heat treating is, is a lot of, People have been told to put like a piece of paper in their packets. That yeah. that is no what. I've heard that doesn't work either. It doesn't. It just makes a mess, really. Yeah. I used to do that because I I thought oh that makes perfect sense, but it it just makes a nice ash mess inside it. So. Yep. Yep. I tried it a couple times. It didn't make a difference. So. Yeah, I ABL man. I, I I really like the steel if you can get it a good at a good hardness, a good consistent hardness. Oh, it's pretty good steel. Well, one thing I was gonna do. So I got mine from Send Cut Send. I don't know if you heard of that place. It's a laser cutting service. Yeah. You upload a drawing to their website, and then they price it for you and everything on their website. And the fillet knives ended up being like. They were 70,000 sick. They were like seven and a half bucks a piece. That's, you know, the steel included. Wow. And then, 
Okay, seven and a half bucks a piece. That's not bad. Yeah, and then though, then the the kitchen knives were a little bit more. I can't remember, but for all ten knives, with a ten percent discount and they offer free shipping, it was one hundred and twenty-five bucks. That's not bad. No, it's really not. So. And yeah, I just sent off like fifty-something uh, steak knives to get heat treated at Paul Boss. So, I'm excited to get those back. Yay. <laughs> Not excited, huh? <laughs> Just repetitive. Yeah. Well, oh. I will say the Sin Cut Sin, the only steel they have is AEBL for knives. They used to have 1095, but I don't even see 1095 anymore on their website. I think people are having a hard time sourcing 1095. Really? Why is that? Global shortage. Oh, just like everything? Just like everything. Just like why your gas prices are going up. Well, back at the Blade Show Texas, I was trying to find... I only needed, like, one thing. I needed 220 sandpaper, and I went to Pops Knife Supplies, and they, they said, yeah, right now, 220 is non-existent. Really? I was able to find 240, which is close enough. Sure. But yeah, they said 220. It's like the one sandpaper that's just non-existent right now. That was a while <laughs> back. It might be available now, but that's fine. Yeah. Man, send cut send. Interesting. Yeah, if you ever, I can draw it for you too, and and if you just give me a, a knife blank or something. Yeah. I also, uh, I want to see though if send cut send offers a. Uh, like a material, they give you the what you call it, the specification sheet. Oh yeah, I I want to call them and see if they're willing to ever do that because that's that's something that can be kind of important. Yeah, definitely, especially to see who you're getting the A B B L from. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's if it's from Bull or Udon, then awesome. Yeah, you know, if it's not, then I don't know who else makes A B L honestly. I don't know either. Oh, I was looking it up. It's supposedly the steel's been around since like forever. I think it's what they actually they use it for razor blades. I want to yeah. say, yeah, yeah it's Swedish razor blade steel. Yeah. So, and no, uh, another company I that I met at Blade Show Texas, a couple nice guys, Waterjet Knives. I don't know if you ever heard of them or not. They have a similar kind of thing, except their their website isn't quite all fancy as fancy i mean it's but you still can upload a drawing to their website then they email you back relatively quickly and give you a quote but they have a selection of about every kind of knife steel oh really so but they they water jet them so it is a little bit more expensive yeah that makes sense oh laser cutting is actually more expensive per hour but it's so much faster that it's typically always cheaper yeah yeah, all my stuff's always laser cut. Who who laser cuts yours? I've got a guy here in town that's got uh, that. They've got a bunch of laser presses or a bunch of laser ones, and I bribe him with a couple of whatever he cuts out. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, oh, it works out there. I got a local guy I know down the road. He water jets and has a, a laser, and his laser rates like two fifty an hour. His water jet rates like one eighty an hour. 
Hmm. So I guess if, you got, if you're cutting something thick, might as well go with the, the water jet. But... Well, I mean, really with that, well, with that, though, it depends on to cut. You can cut thick stuff with a laser, but I think you have to have a stupid, powerful, yeah. expensive laser to do it. Very powerful laser. And it depends on the steel. So, like, these guys, they'll cut high carbon for me up to 3 sixteenths, no problem. But they can only cut stainless up to 90 thou. Oh, really? Yeah, because the amount of nitrogen that they have to use to purge the laser because of the alloying. Because they use liquid nitrogen in them things, right? Yeah. This is so much more that they have to use for the stainless because of the something in the stainless, I guess. What is a, does a liquid, what, is, what does it keep cool or what does it do? In the laser, do you know? Mm-mm, that's a that's higher than my my brain waves. Huh. Enlisted Craftsman is sponsored by Rock Rooster Footwear. Mike, Garrett, and I all three have Rock Rooster boots, and I wear mine every day. They are very comfortable out of the box, and you order them online, they show up in just a couple of days. And for the price, you really can't beat them. And if you are interested in ordering a pair of boots, be sure to use our discount code. That is ENLISTED15. Again, that's ENLISTED15 at the end. Also, if you like what you're hearing, right now, pick up your phone. Please give us a rating on Spotify, whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. We really appreciate it. And also... If you're interested in donating to us, we have a Patreon account now. It is called Enlisted Craftsman. And the great thing about our Patreon account is that half of everything we make gets donated to a veteran organization of some sort. We haven't figured out which one we're going to donate this year to, but half of everything we get is going to go to a good cause to benefit veterans. Enlisted Craftsman is also sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply, the Louisiana Custom Knife Show, and the Scooter Brown Band. I'm not I'm not sure at all how it works. I know it's it's similar to like a plasma, but it's a laser instead of electricity. Well so if <laughs> <laughs> Well so a friend of mine's dad has a company and they do laser Heat treating, welding, well, they do laser case hardening, well, and heat treating. I think think they do some, that's technically heat treating, I guess. But they do laser case hardening, cutting, and uh, cladding. And so the way that they actually laser case harden, from what I remember him telling me, was super interesting. Since the laser is so hot, but it's so fast... It heats up the skin of the steel so quickly that the rest of the steel, the rest of the material doesn't even have time to heat up. And they've already passed over it, they've heated it up, and the rest of the steel draws that heat out of it so quickly that it case hardens it. Really? That's what he said. Interesting. But it's actually a shallower case hardening than if you were to case harden... If you were to case harden the traditional way, he said it's it's like I don't remember it's like it's not very thick at all. But yeah, 
but I guess it's something. Mm-hmm. If you just need a little bit of wear resistance. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I watched this slightly off topic. Slightly off topic. Um, I watched this Modern Marvels the other morning with Maverick. You remember Modern Marvels on the History Channel? Like uh, the TV series? No, I don't. I never really watched that. Watch There's only one show I've watched on the History Channel. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that one is. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's an old show. They haven't really revamped it. And it was an old episode. But it was an episode about um, cladding two non-similar metals together with explosives. Oh, yeah. Explosion welding? Yes. That's that's pretty they cool were, stuff. They were explosion welding like like a half inch stainless to like a, a quarter inch like something else like a, I don't remember what it, what it even was it was something ridiculous and they had to use this, it was huge and they had to use a ton of of uh, explosive and I was like I wonder if you could scale that down I don't know It'd be cool to have Damascus that was 100% explosion welded. That's I was thinking like explosion welded sandmire or something like that. How how cool that would be. I feel like you've got to have some void, just a little bit of voids in it though. Like does all the explosive like so, residue just shoot so the, out? No, so the actually the explosive residue or the explosive explosive substance actually goes on top of the top steel. And then there's an exact thickness air gap between the two pieces of metal all the way around a perfect air gap all the way around with like these little uh i think they use like toothpicks almost is what they're using but it was it was an exact air gap and then when that explosion happens it starts on one corner and it goes to the other corner so it starts here and as the wave goes out it's forcing the air out and also it's heating it not heating it it's, it's like the force of it moving so quickly is superheating the surfaces and also forcing all the oxygen out and forcing it all together as it goes. So it's really kind of like a friction weld, but it's forced yes. so quickly together. Exactly. Hmm. They have a really cool... Uh, well, you could probably Google that one, too, on, on Modern Marvels, the episode, because they've got a really good animation for it that explains it perfectly. What's the purpose of explosion welding that? So I think when, I want to say it was two dissimilar metals. So it was like explosion welding. I, I want to say it was copper to steel. The only okay. Because they had to clad the steel for some sort of a um, in some sort of a reactor or something like that. Um, but yeah, then they, they also were doing like titanium to steel and that kind of stuff too. Huh. Like on the twelve foot by twelve foot sheets. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a really really cool episode. Well, you know how they weld railroad rails together. Yeah, thermite. Thermite. Yeah. Yeah, I've always I've watched a couple things on that. That's thermite. When I was getting out of the Navy, I was looking for jobs. I was seeing some that the railroad had, and it was like thermite welder, and I was like, what? And so I got looking into it, and it's like, oh, that's how they weld their, their railroad rails together. And if you ever actually look at one, there's th- that seam. It's a shiny mm-hmm. seam. Yeah. 
Yeah, right where they... Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, man. I would love to use Thermite. There we go. Another... I've actually was watching a guy that makes his own steel through Thermite. Instead of, like, making your own crucible steel. Oh, he, he makes, just... He makes Thermite, but then adds in different alloys, and it creates a... a like, he made, like, a chrome-vanadian alloy by adding chrome and vanadium to the thermite mix and and then he forged out that bloom and had it tested wow yeah that's so like, pretty cool you can make your own crucible steel in that in that sense too hmm there's some cool stuff out there like how do these people come up with this stuff right i mean that's like loots on the go mhm really like just a really, really, really fast wood smell. Yeah. Do you, do you uh back to the AEBL? Do you have the Paul Boss heat treating? Do they uh do they cryo them for you, or do you not worry about it? Okay. Yeah, I have them cryo them for me. Gotcha. Yeah, I just get all all the toughness they can and pick up an extra hardness point. That's not a bad thing. In the book, I was reading like. Technically, according to this guy, the way you're supposed to cryo is you actually put, which it's kind of impossible for us knife makers to really do, I think, in a lot of cases, but you're supposed to put between 60 to 90 minutes, you put the knives or parts in the upper section where it's not submerged under the liquid and let it come up to temperature in that section for like an hour and a half, then go in the liquid. It says for a minimum of six hours, uh, I don't remember what it, what the maximum was, but then when you come out of it, let it sit there again in the upper section for like 12 hours hmm. to help come down slowly and then temper them at 300 degrees afterwards. And that's how they do their, their cryo at, uh, at Paul Boss because it adds like an extra three days to their process because of the times it takes for them to come up and down the temp and all that kind of thing. And see, when I did these knives, the fillet knives, I only cryoed them for four hours. According to the Alpha Knife Steel website, it says, like, no soak time required. But I'm like, well, I'm going to let them soak a little bit. Yeah. But I wonder if it's kind of a standard thing with the those kind of places that they just do it for that many hours regardless. I think on, on that large of a scale, I think they just have so much going through there that they probably just have to do it. For that amount of time to guarantee everybody's got at least, you know, an amount of cryo time in it. Because they're doing batches of hundreds of knives at a time. Mm-hmm. Think, so. Yeah. I do mine. I just drop mine right in. Do you do a temper before you cryo? Yes. See, I don't do a temper before I cryo. Well, I was thinking about doing like a little snap temper, like a little... Five minute, four hundred degree temper, but I don't have anything to do it with. So, and my oven's still fifteen hundred degrees. Well, so according to the book that I'm reading from this guy, and then that I was talking to a friend of mine about, about this last night. There's arguments not to do it or to do it to not temper before you cryo and to temper before you cryo. What my book says is never ever 
cryo before tempering because you run a risk of cracking the parts and makes perfect sense to me because that's how like I have cracked uh, knives in a temper that I've waited to temper and mm -hmm. I'm not willing to really take the chance of not tempering first so I temper him first and he actually claims too to always temper Temper like uh, your first, the temperature that you want them to be tempered at. So if it's 400 degrees, temper them at 400 degrees. Then the next cycle and all subsequent cycles yeah. drop the temperature. Mm-hmm. I've heard that too. So, I don't know. It's uh, a lot of, well, there's, I think there's a lot of different opinions about it. Yeah, I think there's opinions, a lot of opinions. So... There's not very many papers written on it, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And no. But, I mean, hey, uh, Laren Thomas, he would be the guy to talk to. Yeah, we need to get him on here sometime. That would be great. We really should. We should ask him all these questions. Right. Just bombard him completely with questions. And another thing, too, is, like, I've always heard the knife maker thing of uh, normalizing the three three normalization cycles, but I have yet to ever find a heat treating procedure of any kind to say to do anything like that. Neither have I. So. I've, uh, no, I've never seen, but <clears throat> most heat treating is done for different reasons than what knife making. And that's the, that's the next thing I was going to say. So knife makers have developed certain methods that they do things. Because it's beneficial. But that's what... But how many knife... Well, how many knife makers are etching their steel and look at it, looking at it under a microscope, too? True. So that's where I'm saying, like, knife makers may have come up with some of these things and processes, and I kind of tend to want to think, okay, well... They've done some testing and stuff, but at the same time, who do you, which, which person do you? Yeah. I know Laren Thomas has done a study on this one. So he, he has a whole paper written on it on normalizing and what it actually does. Temperatures you should actually use and stuff like that. I'll have to look into that. Sometimes his articles go so deep into, into it. I kind of get lost, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a little skimming to find out exactly what you're looking for, but but yeah, he's I know he's got a, an article on normalization and grain, great shrinking the grain structure and that kind of thing. He's also got one on annealing too. Yeah. Which I've read some of his articles for for heat treating different stuff, uh, but I normally just read kind of the parts I want to see and then yeah, then that's would, it. Oh, I need to figure out how to heat treat this knife. Exactly. <laughs> He's the guy I would go to, for sure. Yeah. He's got a lot of really good examples, different examples, too. He doesn't just tell you, this is what you should do, and here's a chart with attempts, either. He does a study with, like, 12 different pieces of steel, so he can say, hey, you know, I know there's different classes of knife makers out there, the chef knife maker guys, you know, you're going to want to use these temps and these times because you're going to want a higher hardness 
and you don't have to worry as much about toughness. And then it's like the guys that are making machetes out of it or uh, hunting knives, you know, you don't really need that super high edge retention, but you need it to never break. So you need that higher toughness. Use these temperatures. So like he, he actually does the legwork for you a little bit too. Mm-hmm. But also you have to know your equipment too, which is one thing like, I need to get another, uh, God, what you call it? Not a pyrometer. Yeah, a pyrometer. Just to make sure my oven's on. Make sure. Oh, on like, temp, yeah. On temp, yeah. Because it's been a few years. Yeah. Because you've got an even heat, right? No, mine's a Paragon. It's the. Paragon uh, Pro Series one, the three zone thing. Oh yeah, did you get that one for winning? No, I wish I was part of that group. I heard about that, man. I wish I would have gotten in on that. That'd have been sweet. That was a season five thing, and I was, yeah, I was filmed in season five, but it didn't air until season six. So I kind of lost out on that one. Dang. I was very very sad about that. Yeah, because they, they did a lot of ovens. Yeah, Derek Der- Melton. All the way up until season five, every winter. Oh, uh, no, I thought it was just season five. Oh, it was every winter? Every winter, they got the option of, of, of color that they wanted. Because I know Salem Straub got one. Derek Melton got one. Yeah, well, shoot, Salem. Salem was season two, so. Yeah, he was in season two. Yeah. Man. Yeah. They had to quit doing they, it right before they, me. They offered custom colors and everything like that. That's why his is all crazy colored. I think his is purple. Like a ridiculous purple color. Matt Parkinson, he won in season three, I want to say. And he got one, and he got his in like fuchsia pink. Why Why these colors? They just had like a whole bunch of different powder colors, and so they're like, which one do you want? Oh, I see. Pink. Yeah. Where but- normally it would be an upcharge to have a color. So, huh? Well, that's that's too bad. I missed out on that, but I'd have to win to actually miss out on that. But <laughs> also, to miss on miss out on that. Yeah, they 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 probably realized like how many how many free ovens they were giving away, and like, man, we could have probably sold all these guys' ovens. <laughs> oh yeah, like hey, if they were just giving these guys like a discount, like hey, here's a thousand dollar oven. Like, do you want this? I would have bought it for a thousand bucks. Hell yeah! If I just won ten thousand bucks and you're offering me a three thousand dollar oven for a thousand, yeah, all day long. Did you listen to the uh, the rapid fire interview episode at this Texas Select show that me and Mike did? Which portion of it? Because I only listened to a little bit of it. There oh, kids in the car one. There was a uh, Bert Flanagan who works for Paragon was talking about their Pro Series ovens. You heard that part. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was really interesting how he said that the Pro Series ovens, since the elements are in with the insulation of the oven, they're cast into the castable refractory. Since they've made them, they've yet to have one of those elements fail. That's amazing. But it makes perfect sense. Why? Yeah. They don't have oxygen. To, to yeah. There's no feeling or anything like that. Yeah. So... I don't know if even heat makes their ovens any of their ovens like that or not. Oh, but no, they still use a router. 
Well, like, I mean, Paragon's ovens are expensive, but, like... I mean, you're you're if, buying quality. Yeah, if... I, I did have a couple little issues with mine. Oh, mine was wanting to overshoot every... If I'd open the door, and then I had to come back up to temperature, it would actually overshoot and then shut off the oven, and I'd have to, have to reset it. Oh, shit. But they told me how to fix that. It's a PID gain thing. I turned that down, and then there was one other... The only other issue I've been having, it, and I think it's because I live in Louisiana, which is so hot in the summertime, but the control board alarms out a lot of times on mine. I feel like that's kind of the construction as well. Well, and something I'm going to do, they I called Paragon and some lady on the phone told me, oh, you can't do this, but I know you can. I'm going to cut a hole in the side of the oven and put a... And I have a little 110 bitty square fan wired in whenever I have it on. So that ought to fix that problem. But Yep, that's what you need. Well, cool, man. You got anything else for this evening? No, I don't think I do. You you did mention one story that you put in the text messages. What was that? Yeah, let me go back and watch it. I'm not trying to remember. Oh, yeah, when Martin got malaria. I remember that. Okay. So I was, this all comes up because Paige, my wife, she got Lyme disease. She got her first tick bite of the year and gave her Lyme disease. How long ago? It was on May 1st that she got it and she like, started feeling like shit. This year? Yeah, this year. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's good. I mean, if she caught it that early. Yeah, it was like, they bit her like, like, a, like a centimeter above a lymph node in the back of her head here and like instantly that lymph node just swelled up super huge and they're like this normally only happens when Lyme disease is present so we're just going to wow. treat it like Lyme disease so. wow but she's feeling better she's been on meds since the 5th I want to say well that's good that they caught it that early because some people they don't know they, they have it for years or years even yeah because they, they feel fatigued all the time and they're like well, we don't know why you're fatigued. But. Yeah. Lyme disease. Oh, okay, but yeah. So then it reminded me of when Martin got malaria. Um, we we went to Afghanistan in 2010. And while we were there, we had to take doxycycline, which is exactly what they gave Paige to get rid of her Lyme disease, doxycycline. And every day, morning and evening... <clears throat> we'd have to take a 300 milligram doxycycline and um well i'll take that back it switched to doxycycline originally it was um milfleckman which they uh, discontinued using because of a huge number of veterans were saying that they were getting a lot of bad side effects from it oh so, that's going to be an Agent Orange thing. Can't wait for that. <laughs> but uh, a lot of psychological issues, I guess. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but then they went to doxycycline and we had to take it morning and night. And I remember just, uh, it made you, I mean, I had the shit so bad, always. Well, Martin hated taking it. He hated taking the doxycycline. But he did, and then we all stopped taking it because we were just like, fuck it, we're done. We're not going to take this anymore. If we get malaria, then I'm going to leave this hellhole country. 
That would be great. So <laughs> Marines not following orders. Right, right. So basically, we, we didn't really take it. Well, then Martin started feeling sick one day, and he was like, oh, shit, I'm going to take this stuff. So he, he was, like, religiously taking the doxycycline for, like, the last two months we were there. Every morning, every evening. And uh, we get back to the United States. We're back for, like, four months, five months, I think. And he shows up to work one day, and it looks like he got fucking beat with a fucking hammer. And I'm like, dude, did your wife beat you up or something? He's like, no, man, it's just my face hurts and everything. And I was like, like, what happened to you? He's like, I think I'm just sick. I don't know what the hell's going on. He's got all these, like, sores around his mouth and around his nose and stuff. I'm like, you need to go to the hospital. <laughs> oh, my God. So he got to the hospital. He had, like, 105 temp. He was just burning up. And he's like, I just profusely sweating. And they're going through, like, these gamut of tests. And they think he had appendicitis. And they're like, nope, they ruled that out. And then they're like, ah, oh, maybe he's got something else. And they're like, how much does he drink? And we're like, actually. <laughs> 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 oh, Martin, for real? For real, yeah. Martin was going to be a, was gonna be a uh, um, pastor when he got out. So he, he drank none at all. He was always a DD. So we were all laughing. Like, he doesn't drink. He doesn't drink at all. <laughs> like, okay, so probably not liver failure then. Uh, uh, and they finally were like, "Did you guys go to any foreign countries recently?" Like, uh, India. Yeah, we went to India. I'm like, I bet you got something there. They tested them for a bunch of different parasites and malaria. Wow. Then it was funny that he got it. And none of us. None of the rest was. But I got it. You know. Knock on wood. I got tuberculosis. So. Oh, really? How's tuberculosis? Yeah, I don't know. I, I have latent tuberculosis. So I I caught it on that same deployment, on first deployment. The uh, We had a shared post with the Afghan border police. And so, like, it was one Marine and one border guy up there, border patrol guy up there on post together. Uh, well, they would always bring up dinner to the the guy, and depending on who was up there, they'd bring up two plates, and they'd always bring me a plate because I always asked for one, and they always made really good rice and mystery meat. Mystery meat? <laughs> I didn't know. I just didn't ask. Yeah. I tried to ask, like, like, you'd ask them, like, what it, what it is, and they're like, you know, they don't speak any fucking English. So then you're, you're making, like, animal noises. You're like, like, bang. <laughs> like, okay, not a sheep. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> like nope not a chicken okay okay oh my gosh uh so yeah i just just quit asking uh but there it turns out that the afghans uh cook uh had to, like severe tuberculosis and ended up dying that deployment while we were on deployment there he he went back to a hospital because he started coughing blood profusely imagine that tuberculosis and uh and he died like a couple of weeks later from consumption. And then when I got back to the United States, I tested positive tuberculosis. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm thinking he did some coughing when he was cooking as well. So I remember in boot camp they put the little drop on your arm or something yeah, for yeah. tuberculosis. What happens if it's positive? Dude, it 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 doesn't look 
right at all. And that was what it was. It was like, like mine swelled up like a, like a pimple kind of. And then it got super red and inflamed all around it and super hot. And then it started to kind of ooze. And I was like, man, I think they used a dirty needle or something. <laughs> Cause I remember I got on like a Friday and they were like, oh, come back. Well, like, come back on Monday and we'll take a look at it or whatever. And I remember on like Saturday night, I was like knocking on Doc's door, like, Doc, yo, what is up with my arm? And he's like, oh, actually, it wasn't after the first deployment. It was on my way out. That's when they found it. Mm. And they gave me the option of staying in for six months and completing a treatment program or just getting out of the Marine Corps. And I just got out of the Marine Corps. And I should have probably done the treatment program. But oh, is that why you actually ended up getting out? Oh, okay. No. Okay. It was just like a, like, you know, do you remember doing your, uh, like your outgoing physical or whatever? Mm-hmm. I did my outgoing physical on like a Friday and they had to do the tuberculosis test and I was getting out of the Marine Corps on like nine days. Oh. So like it happened and then I remember showing up on Monday and getting pulled in to the, uh, the Navy I don't know, whoever their fucking lead Navy guy was. And he's, like, looking at my arm. He's like, what the fuck did you do to it? Did you, like, spit on it or something? I was like, bro, they used a dirty needle. And he's like, hey. And I was like, yeah, tell me I was messing with it. Then it was your guys messing with it. And he's like, okay. Well, maybe it was a needle that they barely inject. Yeah, they barely inject it under your skin. Because I remember, because it... it, That's what it is. Because it's like a blister that forms almost instantly. Yeah, and then normally it goes away. It gets absorbed into your skin, and that's a negative test. It just goes away. Okay. Test, it stays there. It gets all inflamed and nasty. So then they had to do a blood test. They did a blood test, and they confirmed that I had tuberculosis, like antibodies in my blood. So they're like, yeah, they were not. They were not supposed to let me out of the Marine Corps. I was about to say I didn't figure. Yeah. No. They weren't. They made me sign some stuff. I, I remember right. And I just remember needing to get out, just wanting to get out of the Marine Corps. I was so ready to get out of the Marine Corps. I just didn't care. Yeah. They're like, uh, you're going to have to take a bunch of meds. Because I remember I got done, and then I went and went up north to Fresno to live with Paige, and I went and saw the doctor up there, and that's when I started taking some sort of a medication for it. It was like a it was like a six-month-long prophylactic medication mm-hmm. that shut down my liver, so I quit taking it. Yeah. Damn. And I couldn't even drink on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Sure. All right. Well, that's all from us Enlisted Craftsmen tonight. Be sure to tune in next episode. We will see you later.